Yeah. Well, good evening, RUF. Good evening. It's good to be here with you all. Everybody in the back hear me? Is that all right? Good to go? Thank you. Um, Lewis, thanks for letting me come, buddy. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm a pastor in the city of Richmond, about two hours from here. Lewis and I have been good friends for the past 11 years. I think 2008 is when the epic bromance began. Um, our wives are close friends. He and I are godparents to each other's children. We're supporters of each other in life and in ministry. Lewis, I don't, you probably don't know this, but Lewis regularly comes to preach at our church in Richmond. And so it's fun for me to get to be down here with you guys about once a semester. Um, uh, shout out, someone did Young Life over here. I was, a, I was a Young Life guy. In fact, I met my wife like in Young Life because it happened in her basement and uh, when she was in high school, and like I didn't care about Young Life or Jesus, but there was like this thing happening in this really cute girl's basement, and so I feel like Young Life has this really special place for me. Um, RUF didn't exist in the college that I went to, and so I think you all are just tremendously blessed to have something like this happening on campus to be a part of. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about what it means to have a true home, what it means to have a true home, and uh, I've got to ask you... Do you know what it's like to be homesick? Do you know that? You don't have to like say or embarrassingly like raise your hand because then people would uh, shame you for that. But um, but do, do you know that feeling? Can you think of that feeling? What it is to be homesick? I uh, I grew up in Virginia, just uh, about an hour from here, and for two years um, I lived outside of Virginia. It's the only two years of my life I've ever lived outside of Virginia. Me and my wife and, and then our two kids lived in Denver, Colorado, for t- from 2012 to 2014. And it was wonderful in many ways, but for those of you who ever visited uh, Colorado to ski or to hike or something, then you know that it is not a place where green things grow. The color of Colorado as a state is generally brown or taupe, like everything is a various shade of tan or khaki there. And um, while I was there, I was homesick, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that I was homesick, but here's how I found out. Our bags were packed, the moving truck was loaded, some friends had dropped us off at the airport, and uh, the Murata family flew across the country back to Virginia, landed at Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C., where we were picked up by my parents and driven home to their home in Albemarle County, um, which is about 45 minutes from here, just outside of Charlottesville. It was 9 p.m., we got out of the car and carried our sleeping children inside, tucked them into sleeping bags on the floor of the guest room in my parents' house, and then I went back outside to carry in our luggage. And that's when it happened. I stepped onto my parents' front porch and was greeted by a perfectly ordinary summer night in Virginia. It was about 80 degrees, hot, humid, my t-shirt was sticking to my back, and uh, the stars were out, cicadas, if you know what those are, were buzzing, it was like incredibly loud and distracting. Um, And the combination of standing on my parents' front porch, experiencing the sights and smells and sounds of my childhood, just overwhelmed me. It's it's hard to explain. I realized in a moment that for two years, I had been restless and anxious and unsettled. Our time in Denver was a lot of fun, um, but it wasn't home. And it really was a lot of fun. I'm not denying it. I mean, if you, sometimes you could ask Lewis about the time that he and I went skiing in Colorado together and the blizzard came in and we ended up spending the night at a billionaire's mansion. <laughs> ask Lewis about that sometime. We had a lot of fun in Colorado, but it was not home. And standing there on the porch that night, I realized all of that at once. And so I sat down on the steps 
and I began to cry. And I'm not a crier. Um, and that's where my dad found me. He walked out. He was coming out to help me carry in my suitcases, and he kind of, I think it was a little awkward for him. He's like, what's wrong with my son? Um, and so he like, kind of awkwardly put his hand on my shoulder and was like, welcome home, buddy. Um, and that was it. But that night is just a memory that I doubt I will ever forget because the deep desire that I think all of us have for a home is just one of the most powerful experiences that a human uh, can have. Each one of us, every single one of us, one thing that unites this room tonight is that we all have this need, not a want, but a need to have a place that is home, a place that is restful, a place that is peaceful, a place where we belong and are wanted and where we're completely ourselves. I think it's a human need. It's something we all have. I also think home is a deeply spiritual concept. It's not just a place, not just a thing. I think home is a deeply spiritual concept. And I recognize that not everybody here tonight has a good association with the word home. Like for some of us, the places we grew up are not places of rest or peace. I think for some of us, it's probably places of pain and pressure. Uh, But what you need to know is that even if the place that you have called home up until this point is not a good place, that doesn't mean that you don't still need a home. In fact, you might even feel this more acutely than the rest of us do. And the thing is, is that Psalm 84 actually shows us where to find home. Because Psalm 84 shows us this longing that we have, the longing that we all feel for a place that is home, and that it's actually a longing for God himself. That's what Psalm 84 shows us. And as we explore Psalm 84, we're going to see, first, our desire for a home. Second, we're going to see the long journey home. And then third, we're going to see the delight of being home. Let me repeat those if you're, if you're writing them down. We're going to see our desire for a home. We're going to see the long journey home. And we're going to see the delight of being at home. And if you have the little handout that was on your seat when you walked in, if you could like, take that out, flip it over, and find Psalm 84 printed out there, <clears throat> we're going to read as we go. Let me read the first four verses for us. It starts out, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Okay, so here's what you've got in front of you. These words that I just read are a psalm which means that this was written right around 6th century BCE by one of the sons of Korah. Now, who the heck is Korah? Korah was one of Moses' cousins, okay? So what you've got is written by a descendant, a distant relative of the family of Moses, okay? It's a beautiful poem, even translated into English and read 3,000 years later, it's still beautiful. And here's what the author's saying. He's saying, my true home is with God. That's where I want to be. He uses the sparrow as an example to say all creatures find their home in God. Everything God's made finds its home in God. And then he writes, my soul longs, yes, faints. And so we've got this image of a person with a deep inner ache, this like inner emptiness, this unmet need, a desire to be at home with God. There's an author named C.S. Lewis. Some of you might be familiar with him. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which I am currently reading to my kids. And, uh, but not in those books. He wrote, uh, he wrote this. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Okay, did you get that? If I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Did you, did you catch all of that? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, all of us are born wanting and needing things. 
We come into the world wanting and needing. We're all born wanting and needing things that really exist. We want food and drink and relationships and sex and love and adventure. We want these things. We need these things. And wouldn't you know it, how convenient all these things actually exist. They're like things that we can have and experience in this life. Now, what about the need we have for a relationship with God? Why have all human cultures developed theology, ideas about God? Why do all humans have this deep need for God? Well, Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, not this Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Um, But you would say this. It's like something you would say. Um, C.S. Lewis says, well, since all our other needs are met by things that really exist, well, then our need for God points to the reality that God must exist as well. And this is where you and I have to do a little bit of digging. We've got to do some personal excavation here, okay? Because not all of us are aware that we have a deep hunger for God, right? Like not not everybody's aware of that. And here's why. Because hunger for God is, I think for a lot of us, it's masked. It's, It's covered up by hungers for other things, Okay, so think about this with me. Let's just use, bear with me, it's not going to be awkward. Let's use sex as as an example, okay? So nearly all people have a desire for sex, right? Nobody said right. It's like, you're acting like it's not you. It's like, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, (laughs) Nearly all people have a desire for sex. So, but that's just the surface level, right? That's just the, that's just the surface level desire. Think about this. What's the desire underneath the desire? What's the desire underneath the desire for sex? Isn't it intimacy? This deep desire to have another person like see you and behold you as you actually are and then accept you and love you as you actually are. The desire um, for sex at the surface level is an expression of the deep human need for intimacy. And here's where God comes in. God actually offers you this kind of intimacy. God says, I do see you as you actually are and I totally love you. So beneath the very ordinary, like everybody has a desire for sex, is the desire for a kind of intimacy that can only be met by God. Do you see how that works? There's like the surface level desire, there's the desire underneath. We're talking about desires underneath desires, okay? I was walking, this is, this is like a little bit more lighthearted. I was walking in the grocery store the other day, and uh, I was in the frozen food section, and I saw the Hunger Man microwave meals. Please tell me you know this. You, you're just, okay. Hungry Man microwave... They're gross, right? They're, like su- they're super disgusting. Um, do you know what the slogan is for this, for this company? Hungry Man Microwave Meals. Do you know what it is? Does anybody actually know? Satisfy your cravings, okay? So that's, so that's the slogan. Here's the thing, and I thought about this. as I, I, This happened to me like three days ago. I was walking past it, and I saw this, and I thought, that's silly. Nobody is craving Hungry Man Meals. Like, nobody. Nobody wake, no one is actually... If you buy this stuff, what you're craving is what? Your craving is real food, not some stupid microwave meal, right? What you really want to do is go to the Lovett's house for barbecue. That's the real, that's the deep inner craving, right? And the Hungry Man meal is like the surface thing. Um, just, just for fun, here are some actual one-star reviews of the Hungry Man meal. Um, it looks like a deep-fried clown shoe someone dropped in a puddle. <laughs> this is true. I got these off, offline. Um, it's like eating a grease-flavored marshmallow. It's like they hired a scientist who has never seen cheese sauce to make it. It's like eating a carrot wrapped in Tide Pods. That was my favorite one. Um, Okay, so this is like silly, right? But you get the point. We have these surface level desires, and then we have these deep desires right underneath, these true desires. And so the first four verses of Psalm 84 tell us that our deep desire, like under all the things that we think we want, is the thing that we really want, the desire to be at home with God. 
And this is why you and I tend to find all of these other homes, all these temporary homes along the way, thinking that they will be places of rest and joy and delight. But here's the thing, they fail to deliver. So let's think about this. If you still have the little handout, if you can flip back to it, we're going to read the next few verses. Picking up in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. So our 6th century BCE author keeps writing this poem, and he longs to be at home with God, so he's traveling to go to God's house, which is the temple in Jerusalem. So these next few verses describe the journey from the countryside to up to the city of Jerusalem, and he describes this place called the Valley of Baca. It's this beautiful little valley with creeks and streams of water, which if you're living in the Middle East is a big deal because water's come to hard, hard, hard to come by, right? So Baca in Hebrew is the singular of the plural word balsam, which is a kind of tree, okay? So this is the valley of balsam trees and fresh springs of water. It sounds like a lovely place. And our author has to journey through this valley on his way up to Jerusalem. And just imagine how tempting it must have been just to stop in this valley. It's a good place to rest, perhaps even a good place to call home. But he's not going to stop there. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to keep going because he'll never get to the temple in Jerusalem where his heart truly longs to be. So he must resist the good thing in order to travel on to the best thing. You with me so far? Okay. Now here's what we see in this journey home. That God has many good and interesting places where we might stop. But those places are not our true home. They're good, they're interesting, but they're not our true home. And so I just want to think with you about what some of those places might be. Places we are tempted to call home. And uh, we should just name the obvious one up front, right? So like you're in one of them. College. Like you're in one of those places. How many of you have, have done this, which I did and it made my mom cry? How many of you have accidentally done this, where like you were leaving the place where your parents live and packed up all your bags, and you got in your car and you said, okay, I'm going home now, and you meant coming back here, right? Have you done that? Did it break your parents' heart, right? It's devastating. Um, so for some of you, not all of you, I know, but for some of you, this place has become something like of a home. Others of you, though, are less interested in this particular place, and you're more interested in the next place, right? The career to which you are headed. A job in which you'll get to use your intelligence and your creativity to make a positive impact on the world. Not just a job where you can pay bills, but a meaningful job where the work is satisfying and fulfilling, so perhaps maybe your job or your career will be your next home. Others of you are thinking, you're like, yeah, that's not me. I'm all about relationships. I'm all about community. And so your friend group or your athletic team or perhaps your sorority or your fraternity becomes home. These people are my family. I belong with them. My community is my home. And then there are others of you. This is a little trickier. There are others of you that have perhaps found a home that is far more specific. It's not a place. It's not a job. It's not a community. Your home is one very special person your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your significant other, this romantic relationship has given you a sense of being at home. Has anybody ever heard, uh, please tell me you've heard this, the song Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros? You guys know what I'm talking about? Alabama, Arkansas. Um, What's the chorus? Oh, home, let me go home. Home is wherever I'm with you. It's a a powerful song for a reason. My wife and I have moved, uh, in our first nine years of marriage, we moved seven times. And so home for us was not an apartment, right? 
Home for us was with each other. We, this was like our theme song. Um, all these places, college, career, community, romance, they're, in, they're like the Valley of Baca, right? They're, they're wonderful places of goodness, but they're not our true home. And here's why. Because they cannot answer our deepest needs. Think about this. If your home is college, if it's this place, well, then your home is going to evict you in three years, right? <laughs> Maybe four, if you, like, take it slow and, you know, do, do that track. The students who feel like, the, those of you, and Lewis and I both experienced this on the other side of our graduation, right? Like, the students that felt like college was home, they're the ones that have the hardest time on the other side of graduation. It's a good place, but it can't be your home. <laughs> If your home is your future occupation, your career or your job, then this thing, you know, this thing that you're constantly working towards, this place that, you know, when you get there, you're going to find meaning through making a positive impact and doing so in a fulfilling way. Well, then you need to know that uh, there's an online and printed magazine called The Atlantic that just ran an article a few weeks ago describing what the workplace is like now for most white-collar workers, the smartest people who work primarily with information, not with their hands. Depression rates are way up. People are changing jobs faster and faster than ever before in an attempt to find the right job that will fulfill them. And the author of the article, who to my knowledge is not a Christian, concluded that people are now looking to their work to give them the same kind of meaning in life that used to be given by religion. Your future careers, friends, will probably be fantastic, but they cannot be your home. Now, what about if your home is your community, your athletic team, your sorority, your fraternity? Well, then one, you're on the same timeline as folks that find college to be home. But also, no matter how welcoming your community is, communities can also be places of competition, can't they? I know, I know you feel this. There are places where they love you when you perform well, right? When you meet expectations, when you make the group look good. But those same communities, they're just not going to continue to love you when you fail when you make the group look bad, or when you no longer conform to the expectations of your group. Your communities are good places, but they cannot be your home. Now, what about if your home is your romantic relationship? Well, then, let me say this. You're so close. You're really on the right track. You've got the right concept. Let's affirm this. The idea that your home is in a person and not in a place or a thing is a good and right and true and beautiful idea. But which person? That's, that makes all the difference. If you try to make your home in a romantic relationship with a young man or a young woman, then you're on the path that really leads to heartache and not to home. And here's why. Because that person is also looking for their home. And they're probably looking to find it in you. And when two people bring their emptiness to each other, they don't find fullness. When two people bring their emptiness to each other, they don't find fullness. And this explains why so often relationships that begin with like enormous heat and desire for one another often end in spectacular disaster, right? Like you're thinking of friends of yours right now. Um, your desire for romance is good. The person you have a crush on and adore is good. But that person cannot be your home. Okay, let's summarize here. We've talked about our longing for God as our true home. We've talked about the long journey home and all the false homes at which we might stop along the way. And so now I think we're ready to talk about the delight of being at home. What happens when we arrive there? If you still have the psalm with you, let's, let's close it out. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness.
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Okay, so our poet concludes his prayer with these really like incredible words of delight. It's better to be at home with God for a day than to spend any amount of time in any other home. There's a, um, there's a, a pastor from the 300s AD named uh, Augustine. Some people call him Saint Augustine. And he says this amazing thing. It's just a, one sentence that has just stuck with me ever since the time I first heard it. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So folks, here's the good news for us this evening. This is what I drove from Richmond to tell you guys, because at this point, you, I don't know, if you're, if you're similar personality to me, you're probably half expecting me to give you like a list of things that you can do that will make you a better Christian so that your home will be with God and not with other stuff, right? And the good news of the gospel is that the next step for you, the way to finding your true home in God, doesn't actually begin with you doing something. It actually begins with God doing something. So here's a story. God made you. He made you to be at home with him. You have this built-in longing for God, and it's never going to go away, no matter what you do or what you choose or what you believe. It's always going to be there because that's how he made you. But you and I, and Lewis, and Maggie, and their kids— And every single human being has left our true home. We're separated from God by what the Bible calls sin, which is rebellion against God, wanting to be our own gods of our own lives. And God's response to us leaving him is so interesting, and it's so unexpected. Rather than slamming the door on us, God actually walks out the door, and he follows us. And the Bible teaches and Christians believe that God came to earth in the person of Jesus, God in human form, to pursue us, to come and to make his home with us, to draw us back, win us back to himself. And in order to do that, here's what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to get rid of the separation between us and God. He had to deal with the problem of sin, this rebellion, this leaving God that we did. And so Christians believe that when Jesus stretched out his arms on the wooden beams of the cross, we believe that his death paid the penalty for our sinful rebellion. And so the barrier that keeps us from coming home to God was removed by the death of Jesus. And so now the way back to our true home is actually open, not closed. And it's open only through Jesus. And so through Jesus, God welcomes us home as his lost, runaway children. And he does a lot more than just kind of awkwardly pat you on the back and say, welcome home, buddy. His arms are outstretched, and he embraces you, and he welcomes you home. And this is where the story actually goes from good to great. God has promised one day to renew this world and to make his home with us forever. The future that Christians look forward to is a future of simply enjoying being at home with God. Did you ever think about it that way? That's what Christians are looking forward to. Like, that's the thing we're looking at saying, I can't wait for that day. It's when we get to simply enjoy being at home with God. Now, the thing is that you and I are in the middle of this story. The story's not over. So, While you and I wait for God to come and to renew the world and to make his home with us forever, he gives us a foretaste. He gives us this appetizer, this thing that shows us just a glimpse of what it means and what it feels like experientially to be at home with him. You see, if you embrace Jesus' love for you and you in turn love him in response, well then what happens is Christ Jesus comes to make his home with you through his Holy Spirit. 
so that you're never alone. He's always with you. Christ is now home with you. And so through Jesus, God makes his home with you in his spirit now. He doesn't part now. He will in fullness later. Okay, so before we conclude, let me just kind of summarize here. So we've talked about what? We've talked about our desire for a true home in God. We've talked about the long journey home and all the good but ultimately false homes along the way. And we've talked about the delight of being at home with God through Jesus, both now and forever. Uh, In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something perhaps uh, a little strange. I'm going to ask you, we're going to pray the first two verses of Psalm 84 together. We're going to, in just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment, we're going to stand up and we're going to pray the, those verses together. Because this is a prayer, and so we're going to pray it. Uh, but before we do that, by way of application, I just want to offer you a few ideas for how you might pray Psalm 84 on your own, or perhaps with a small group, um, or with some friends. The first is that, though you may never admit it out loud, all college students struggle with being homesick at one, point, at one time or another. You don't have to admit it to anybody else but it's just a reality. You're not alone. It's not just you, okay? So when that feeling does bubble up and when you feel like you don't have a home, you can pray Psalm 84. That's what you can do, especially when you don't really know how to pray. And you're like, God, I don't even know what to do with this. I feel awful. What do I do? What do I say? Well, you say these words. And what you're doing is you're allowing your words to guide your heart. It's this mysterious thing, right? Um, this is like the, it's, it's like this mysterious inversion of being authentic, right? We're so used to letting our hearts guide our words. Like, whatever I feel on the inside, I'll say on the outside. Do you know it actually works the other way as well? You can say something on the outside, and it helps shape who you are on the inside, right? That's why, like, the songs we sing are so important. Because the songs we sing actually become, like, part of the scaffolding, like, part of who we are. And so do the, with the same thing with the prayers that we pray. And so you can use these prayers to help guide your heart. You can say, look, I'd like to be the kind of person that finds my true home in God, but I don't really know how to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray Psalm 84, and I'm going to use these words to help shape who I am on the inside. That's one thing you can do. A second thing you can do is you can pray Psalm 84 when a false home has failed you. So whether it's this particular place, whether it's a community, a sorority, fraternity, athletic team, whatever group that you're a part of, um, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend that's broken up with you, if a false home has let you down, has failed you, and you don't, and you're crushed and you don't know how to respond, you can pray Psalm 84. That's something you can do. And then lastly, uh, you can do what we're about to do in a minute, which is to pray Psalm 84 as an act of worship, as a way of saying, God, you're worth finding home in. <laughs> you're actually the one. And we're actually saying together as individuals and as an RUF community, this is what we want to do. We want to find our home in God. So instead of me uh, praying to close us all in prayer, let's do it together. So if I can invite the worship team to come on up and um, get ready to lead us in a song. As they're coming up, if I can invite all of you to stand. And if you have the psalm in front of you, let's do this. In just a moment, we're going to read it, just the first two verses, in unison together. Okay? It's not going to be awkward because we just decided that it's not. So... See, isn't that great? Now it's not. So, friends, let's pray together. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Amen.